And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello, and welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is episode 38. I want to apologize for missing last week. It was a busy time. I had a lot to do with school and wasn't feeling that great. Had a bit of a case of the sniffles, so I apologize about that. But I am a student first, so I'm going to take care of school before I take care of this podcast. No offense to any of the listeners out there that were wondering or anything like that about where last week's episode was, I apologize. I had a couple of people ask me about it when they saw me uh, this weekend, so I'm glad that there is some concern and interest about when episodes do not come out, but I'm back this week. Just wanted to give you an update of why I wasn't there last week, but it's episode 38. We have 12 more until the episode 50, which is still mind-blowing to me, but... The reason I'm keeping doing these is because I enjoy them, and hearing from you all um, when I'm out and about means a lot to me, so thank you for that. Other ways to show your support, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other bullshit good stuff, you can do that on iTunes. I really do appreciate that. Um, I know I say it every episode, but I do mean it, and it does mean a lot to me, so thank you so much. A lot happened in sports since I was gone. Tiger Woods is back. We're going to talk about that later on in the last segment of the show because it is also probably outside of Masters Week and U.S. Open Week, my favorite weekend of golf ever. It's Ryder Cup weekend. So we have that to talk about. Uh, The Browns, holy shit. The Browns got a win in the NFL. That happened last Thursday. Going to talk about that along with more NFL. And then the Cats. Jesus Christ. I don't know what's more shocking. The Browns winning or UK dominating Mississippi State and winning that game. But we're going to talk about the UK game. Some games from last weekend as well. Oregon blowing it massively against Stanford. Going to talk about games in week five that are coming up. Just a whole, whole lot of balls to talk this weekend. So strap in because I have a great show for you for Carson Sack Podcast, episode 38, where we talk balls. I'm going to start the football conversation this week. We're going to start in college and we're going to talk about Mississippi State at Kentucky. It's just, how could you not? Being in Lexington, what has happened with the Florida game, how Kentucky won that, and the environment and the electricity and the air that has been around UK football since then. It's something that I haven't seen as a UK student for the football team ever. Um, The closest thing I can compare it to is senior year in 2015 when they beat, well, 2014-2015 that season, when they beat South Carolina for the first time and started their streak, who now comes into Lexington with the Cats ranked 17th in the country. 17th. Like, that's ridiculous to me. I never thought I, as a college student here in Lexington going to UK, would ever have that 
be a thing while I was in school. I thought they were so far away from that, but Benny Snell has this team, and it's not only Benny Snell, but he's getting most of the praise, has this team just playing out of its mind right now. Benny Snell on Saturday against Mississippi State, 25 carries, 165 yards, and four touchdowns. Terry Wilson had 71 yards and an interception, but he is much more of a threat on the ground as Cats fans and everyone else is now starting to learn, and his passing game is sort of just complimentary to what he can do on the run to help take some pressure off Benny Snell, which he does very well. But it's incredible to me that Kentucky is winning football games by running the ball, and their offensive line and their defensive line is being tremendously way more physical than the opponent's offensive or defensive line is. And that just hasn't been the case. You could make an argument that, yeah, Kentucky's offensive line has been all right the past couple years because of how well Benny Snell has done, but it's always been a question of the defensive line and that front seven being able to stop the run, get pressure on quarterbacks, make them make bad decisions, apply pressure in uh, obvious passing situations, things like that that Kentucky just hasn't been doing. But this Mississippi State game, they did that. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald and Mississippi State had one long drive, an 80-yard drive in the, I believe, the first or second quarter, and that was it. Any other time, they were stifled on defense by Kentucky. And Benny Snell, if you have a running back like him, how could you not continue to feed him as much as they are? I mean, 25 carries, I think that's the perfect range for him. He breaks Randall Cobb's all-time touchdown record. He is now number one, and he's only a junior. It's People are throwing his name in the Heisman consideration. Sure, right now, that's fine. Um, his numbers are they're good. They're very good. They're a little less than Heisman numbers for me right now, but if he keeps doing what he's doing, there's no reason that he can't end up in New York. If he sustains as much success as he's had, he can definitely end up there. It might take a little help from other people underperforming, but holy shit. Kentucky football is ranked 17th in the country, and they welcome South Carolina this weekend, and if they win that, there's no reason they wouldn't move up into the top 15 and he would have told me that within the next if you would have told me last at the end of last year that this team at any point would be a top 15 team in the country I would have called you crazy I wouldn't have believed you at all I would have asked for whatever type of drugs you were on Uh, I had a disclaimer don't do drugs but holy shit it's just it's nice to be a student here and have that kind of excitement around something other than the basketball program and it's about time that it's Kentucky football. Moving on, the next game to look at was another barn burner, close game. We had Oklahoma welcoming the Army Knights. Oklahoma squeezes out of victory in overtime 28 to 21 and this was the first game in the year that Kyler Murray wasn't putting up huge monstrous numbers and the rest of Oklahoma didn't step up to help him which is kind of concerning because in this case yes it did work out Oklahoma steals a win I don't want to say steals because they did play well Oklahoma survives I'll save that survives against Army but Kyler Murray only 165 yards yes three touchdowns 
did throw one interception. And then Sermon on the ground for Oklahoma, 18 carries, 119 yards. But that was it. That's all Oklahoma had were those two players this game. And it's just not I – I really think – that losing Robbie Anderson, their running back, is going to come back and bite him and cost him a game somewhere. And they can't rely all on Kyler Murray. Yes, he's a dynamic playmaker. I understand that. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12, if not the entire country. But it's hard to lean on one player like that the entire year. And Robbie Anderson was that guy that was able to take pressure off of him at times. And now that he's gone... And seeing this and seeing how just Oklahoma wasn't didn't look like Oklahoma in this game, I'll be honest with you, this convinced me that they're going to end up losing a game somewhere that they probably shouldn't. So that's just my thought on that. Then Texas Tech went and put the beat down on Oklahoma State. Texas Tech has a huge matchup coming up this week that we're going to talk about what Everyone is really talking about after Saturday um, near the end was the overtime game um, in Oregon. Stanford coming back in the second half, 38-31 in overtime. Bryce Love on the game had 89 yards on touchdown, and he has just not shown up how he should how he should be to be in the Heisman consideration in the Heisman race. Uh, Costello, though, huge for Stanford. 327 yards and three touchdowns. And if they can continue to have a quarterback that can complement and be there and take pressure off of Bryce Love so defensive aren't loading the box like defensives have been doing against Bryce Love, that's huge. Not only for Bryce Love and his Heisman candidacy, but for Stanford as a team as a whole and how far they can go because looking back, they really haven't had a great quarterback since Andrew Luck that has been able to really take control of this offense they've leaned on running backs and that's fine I get that that works to an extent but now that they've got somebody like Costello who shows that in big games he can step up I mean like I said three touchdowns on the game that doesn't happen a lot for Stanford quarterbacks Stanford's somebody to look out for and they have a huge matchup this week that we're going to talk about where they're facing Notre Dame. So that's just what I wonder. Oh, I also have to mention, pardon me, um, University of Louisville football. You're trash. You're done. You're dead. You you lose to Virginia. At Virginia. Granted, at Virginia. Holy shit. Whoop-de-doo. You're just, oh, my God. You're so bad. Everyone on the year was thinking. I, no one thought they were going to be world beaters or in the ACC championship game or anything like that, but oh my gosh, to lose to Virginia, and I, I'm sure I'll have people that say, oh, Virginia isn't that bad, blah, 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 blah. You're the University of Louisville. You shouldn't struggle with teams like Virginia. You're better than that, and you not only struggled, you went and got your ass kicked. So just wanted to touch on that because they're a hometown team, but good Lord, U of L. I, is Bobby Petrino on the hot seat? Yes. he's His seat is firmly on fire. I tweeted out a picture of a seat on fire and said, Bobby Petrino's seat. Yeah, follow me on Twitter, at Carson Karras. But that's exactly what I think he is, right? where his seat is and his job security and everything. I think fans should be very concerned with how that team is playing, not only because they don't have 
much of a quarterback situation figured out because their offensive line is playing terrible and their defense, who some thought was going to be okay, is just non-existent. So that's all I want to really talk about from last weekend of college football. We can look ahead now to week five and we have a bunch of great matchups this coming weekend. All right, so I'm going to start this week of college football, these upcoming games with what is probably the most important. College game day is there. It's Ohio State at Penn State. It's a night game on ABC. Ohio State, three-and-a-half point favorite. Going to get this out of the way right away. They're going to cover that. It's a whiteout game. It's going to be a raucous environment in Happy Valley. It always is when the Buckeyes come to town. Dwayne Haskins on the year has... 1,194 yards and 16 touchdowns and only one interception. J.K. Dobbins is the leading rusher for the Buckeyes with 323 yards and two touchdowns. And Paris Campbell is leading zone six with 299 yards and five touchdowns. On the other side of the ball, um, Trey McSorley for Penn State has 763 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and Sanders for Penn State, who is replacing Saquon Barkley and doing a fairly good job, has 495 yards and five touchdowns. Penn State has struggled. Um, they struggled against Appalachia State the first week, and for a little while there last week on Friday night. I don't know why teams are playing Friday night games when you're in the Big Ten, in the Big Ten, but they are apparently. Penn State struggled with Illinois a little bit. Um, I think the Buckeyes win this one. What The only thing that concerns me is Nick Bosa is now out until November. Um, they're so deep at defensive line that they'll be able – they have players, Chase Young, uh, players like that that can come in and replace him, and that's a great thing because of the depth like that, but you lose a player like Nick Bosa's talent, who some people are saying could go first overall, definitely top five in the NFL draft. It's never a good time to lose a player like that, but especially with a conference game, a huge conference game that is going to have implications on Big Ten championship game, potentially implications on the college football playoff. Never a good time to lose a player like that, but especially not now. But I just think that Dwayne Haskins is, this is his coming out party. TCU, he had an opportunity to do that, and he had a good game. But I think now that... I just think the way he has progressed and is going to continue to progress, this is definitely going to be the biggest game of his career so far. He has not played in an environment like that, really. I mean, you could say at Michigan last year when he came in for JT Barrett, but I would say this game where he's going to go in as a starter and he's put up all these numbers and he's got some hype around him. There's a movement to get him in the Heisman conversation, which I definitely think is warranted because of the numbers he's putting up are as good, if not better, than most of the quarterbacks that are already in the Heisman uh, candidacy race. But this is the game that if any time to really cement yourself and get your name out there on the big stage and go out and put up big numbers, this is the game to do it and the weekend to do it and I think he does it I also think that Mike Weber has two touchdowns and I think J.K. Dobbins has at least a touchdown I definitely think that their Buckeyes are going to be able to exploit some passing but I think they should not deviate away from the run if they can control the ball and time of possession and not not be methodical and slow with the ball but be um 
I want to say surgical. I want to be surgical with how they're playing with tempo and everything because Haskins does do a good job in up-tempo offenses at times. You can see that when they're playing fast-paced. Um, they did that a little bit in the TCU game to start off, and it helped him tremendously to get off to a good start. If they can do that and then slow it back a little bit and control the ground game and control the front seven on both sides of the ball, I see no reason why Ohio State wouldn't win this game and easily cover that three and a half. I uh, said it once, I'll say it before, it's not a uh, gambling podcast, but just saying you should probably take the Buckeyes covering this one. Uh, ESPN, the matchup predictor, though, has Penn State with a 53.6% chance to win. That's um, according to ESPN's football power index. So that's a thing. Um, for those who aren't great at math, that's 46.4% for the Buckeyes to win. Um, so you're saying there's a chance. There's much more than a chance, but I think Ohio State gets it done in this one. Moving on to another big game. It's another night game on SEC Network. South Carolina comes to 17th ranked Kentucky. Kentucky has had South Carolina's number for the past four years. Yeah, four years now. And they're looking to make it five. What I am super concerned about, and some people can say this isn't a factor, but I think it is. Kentucky is not favored in the game, but they have the most hype around them between these two teams. They're the one that's ranked. Kentucky this entire year in their two big games against Florida and Mississippi State, uh, Stoops has been able to play the, oh, you all are underdogs card. You all, no respect, anything like that. It's kind of hard to do that when you're 17th in the country and all these people are coming out and praising you after the fact that you did win i mean both weekends for both the big wins no one on college game day has picked kentucky kurt kind of gave them a little bit of a shout out in both of the games saying it'll be close but it won't be a blowout like it had been in the past but no one has really had the balls to go out and take them in those two big games um benny snell I doubt that Muschamp is going to let anybody talk shit about Benny Snell because he's seen how that's affected how aggressive and more fired up he plays when people are doing that. So I don't think Muschamp's going to allow anybody on South Carolina's defense or offense to really talk shit to Benny Snell. I, like I said, I just think it's going to be interesting to see how Kentucky comes out now when they have all this hype around them and are able to come out with expectations that they haven't had in the past, how they'll be able to come out and handle that and show up and hopefully take care of business. I do think Kentucky wins this game. I do think that gets them into the top 15, but... I could easily see uh, Bentley for South Carolina coming out and having a great game against uh, Kentucky's secondary because that is a bit of a question mark for me. Not a huge question mark, but it has been a bit of the team's weakness, if you want to say there is a real big weakness. But I like Kentucky in this one to continue their winning streak against South Carolina and move to 5-0 and on the year. 5-0 and for the Cats. Holy shit. The next game we look at is a Big 12 matchup where the 12th-ranked West Virginia Mountaineers go to the 25th-ranked 3-1 Texas Tech Red Raiders. Will Greer has put on a hell of a performance so far this year with 1,117 yards, 14 touchdowns, and 3 interceptions. But on the other side of the field for Texas Tech, Bowman, the quarterback for Texas Tech, 
1,557 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 2 interceptions. And then a big part of why Texas Tech is succeeding, I believe, is Henry, the running back for them, has three has 231 yards but 6 touchdowns. And in the past, Texas Tech really hasn't had somebody that can help on the ground. It's been uh, light up line up five wide and just sling the rock around air raid offense and just see what the hell happens score as many points as you can and hope for the best in this one i like texas tech to win i think it being at texas tech helps out immensely and it's about time cliff kingsbury the most handsome man in all of college sports gets a big time win and this is the game that he does it i think royal greer has a good game i think it's a high scoring game but i think maybe near the middle of the fourth quarter tough crunch time game that will greer makes one one too many mistakes maybe gets strip sacked or throws an interception just has a turnover in crunch time late in the game and texas tech that propels them to the victory in this huge i can't understand enough huge huge big 12 matchup and it's a noon game too so you're going to be able to get a lot of high scoring offense uh with some fireworks and everything started on your college game day that saturday so look for that game at noon and look for the raiders of texas tech to pull out an upset at home i'm not gonna really break this game down that much just wanted to note it because i think it's gonna be an upset but michigan goes to northwestern i think northwestern wins that one um i just think northwestern's a better team than the record indicates it's at northwestern and that's you don't really think of Northwestern as this tough, really hard place to play, but for big games like this, their fans and students show out and make a big, big difference. So I like Northwestern in that one. Then we move on to BYU and Washington. BYU has gotten a lot of hype because they've upset some teams like Wisconsin and um Arizona they go to Washington I think Washington dismantles them I also want to touch on that because that was a top 20 matchup and then Oregon goes to Cal Cal has been putting up great offensive numbers Oregon coming off of that tough loss to Stanford last weekend it's going to be interesting to see how they rebound this is going to be another high scoring game I like Oregon in this one. Some people are going to pick Cal just for the fact that maybe they think that hangover, the loss, and the, everything like that is going to keep Oregon, hold them back a little bit. I think it's going to be the complete opposite. I think that they're going to come out pissed off and ready to play. And then Herbert, the quarterback for Oregon, already has 13 touchdowns on the year. He does have five interceptions. I think that limits a little bit of how far this team can go because – it was costly against Stanford. I don't think he is going to make that many mistakes this game, and I think Oregon ends up winning this one at Cal in a very high-scoring, tough, good game. And then the last game I want to look at for this upcoming weekend in college football, um, on NBC at 7.30, there's three huge games at 7.30. It's going to be amazing to watch. But Stanford, 7th in the country, goes to Notre Dame, 8th in the country. And geez, Louise, what a time. What a game this is going to be. Um, Notre Dame switched to Ian Book last weekend at quarterback to replace Brandon Wimbush, and he balled the fuck out. He was so good. Notre Dame's running game is always going to be what is their bread and butter. Jones, for them, on the year, 46 carries, 263 yards, and three touchdowns. Both these teams kind of struggle a little bit with throwing the ball. It's going to be a very physical, intense game. 
as much as I don't want Notre Dame to win, I think they're going to. I think that Bryce Love, the only I think the only way Stanford wins is if Bryce Love goes off, and Notre Dame's defense is very very good at stopping the run and trying to have other quarterbacks beat them. And Castello, like I said last week, had a good game, but he hasn't shown consistency consistency throughout his career to follow up big games and be able to complement Bryce Love and the running back that they've had there while he's there. So I just don't. Versus Stanford getting this done. I like Notre Dame in this one. It's going to be a great game. I want Stanford to win, but Notre Dame, I feel like, is just a better team. And I think Ian Book is just... he The way he came in, and I get it, it was against Wake Forest. I By no means is Wake Forest this huge, powerful team or anything like that. But the way he came in, ran the offense, and didn't let the moment swallow him or anything like that, which... In this big of a game, there's an opportunity and a chance that happens that he um, comes out, underperforms, and then Wimbush is back in. But Wimbush is still a great quarterback, too. It's a, it's not a problem you want, but it's a problem that can be solved because you have two good quarterbacks like Notre Dame. But like I said, I think Notre Dame's defense is good enough to slow down Bryce Love and good enough to make... Costello try and beat them and I don't think he's going to be able to do that and I like the Irish in this one now we move on to the NFL there's no rapid recap this week I'll make it up for you next week with a themed one I'll put that up on Twitter something you can vote on what the theme is I apologize but just couldn't do it this week but the huge news in the NFL are the Browns getting the W on Thursday night against the Jets, 21-17. And the bigger news is Baker Mayfield comes in to replace Tyrod Taylor, who had a concussion, and brings the Browns back and gets them their first W in over a year. And it's incredible. It's been over 600 days since they last won. But let's pump the brakes on Baker Mayfield and that whole He's the next savior of Browns football. I am glad the Browns won. I am actually terrified and horribly upset that this is how they won. Tyrod Taylor is good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And some people might say that it's just maybe good enough to... He's good enough to be a quarterback, but should be the Browns starting quarterback. Uh, If you look... And I've heard comments from Pat Mahomes, who is lighting up the NFL so far, hasn't thrown an interception, is would right now be the MVP in the entire league. He has spoken at length about how much sitting out the entire year last year has helped him grow as a quarterback and helped him learn more about the offense and the league and how things work. Why can't the Browns do that? Why, why not? I mean, yes, I understand Baker Mayfield came in and he played well, got them the W, but it was against the Jets. Jets aren't world beaters. Jets aren't this great team. I really wish that Hugh Jackson would put Tyrod Taylor back in, but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It seems like they're going to ride with Baker Mayfield and let him learn through process of air and everything like that, which is fine. And... I want nothing more than the Browns to be successful, and if that means Baker Mayfield needs to be in there, I'm okay with that. But I really just wish that he would be like, listen, Tyrod's our guy, and 
yes, he didn't win them a game, but he put them in positions in the first two weeks to get Ws, and they just didn't. I mean, he can't kick a fucking field goal, an extra point for the kicker. Like, I mean, that's why they lost the second weekend. And then the first weekend against the Steelers, they tie. Not the best result, but, I mean, he put them in position to win games, and I think Browns fans are totally forgetting that because of the poor start he had on Thursday night and then Baker coming in. I mean, Mayfield had 201 yards and a little over a quarter and a half, which is big numbers for that. Um, I'm happy for Baker and the entire organization in City of Cleveland. I am. Carlos Hyde also had a huge game, 98 yards and two touchdowns. Jarvis Landry is proving to be an awesome signing for the Browns. He had eight reception, 103 yards. I just wish that just wish that Tyrod would come back. I miss you, bud. That's all I'm going to say on that. But super happy for Cleveland and that entire city. Another game to look at from this past weekend, the Saints and the Falcons in a big NFC South matchup. The Saints got that one in overtime. Uh, Drew Brees showing that apparently the fountain of youth is somewhere in New Orleans because he had a rushing touchdown. Another big, big headline score from this last weekend was the Bills beating up on the Vikings 27-6. Josh Allen looked terrible in his first start last weekend, but this week 196 yards and a touchdown. The Bills' defense showed up well. Um, I really have no idea how the Bills really came out and won this one. I guess it was just the Vikings, maybe a bit of a hangover from them last weekend, a tough game, a tough divisional game against the Packers. They end up in tying that one, but besides that, I have no idea how that even turns out. The Panthers handled handed the Bengals their first loss on the year, 31-21. to The Titans and the Jaguars had a big AFC South matchup that the Titans end up winning 9-6. What the hell happened to that explosive offense that the Jaguars had without Leonard Fournette and Blake Bortles just slinging the ball and running everywhere? Where did that go? That's the biggest problem with the Jaguars is lack of consistency from their offense. And their defense is out of this world. Probably the best in the NFL. But if Blake Bortles can't show some consistency, then that team is dead in the water. And they'll look great this year. They'll look, they'll be in contention, but they won't be able to get past teams like the Patriots or anything like that come playoffs. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo for the Chiefs. They lost to Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers, excuse me, played the Chiefs. Garoppolo is out for the year with a torn ACL. That's upsetting because he is one of the better young quarterbacks in the NFL. The Rams and the Chargers had a big, big game. Rams end up winning that one. They continue to look like the best team in the NFL. The Seahawks handed the Cowboys a loss. Um, Seahawks haven't lost a home opener in Seattle in 10 years. That's incredible to me. Chris Carson had their first 100-yard game in over, I think, two years, and that is what Seattle used to pride themselves on is physical football, dominating the front seven on both sides of the ball, offensive and defensive sides, and 
finally they get a running back Chris Carson who is the best running back on that team uh Rashad Penny was stealing looks for him he only carried the ball three times uh Chris Carson last weekend was running very well in the first half didn't get a carry an entire carry in the second half because he was tired from special teams maybe don't have your best fucking running back on special teams Pete Carroll just simple as that um Josh Rosen saw some action for the Cardinals but they came up short against the Bears and they are atop the NFC North did not think that was gonna be said at all this year but that defense with Khalil Mack Raquan Smith and the rest of that defensive line and linebacking core for the Bears is legit right up near the top of the NFL in all categories they're very very good and it's going to be able to keep them in a lot of games this year the Patriots on Sunday night lost to the Lions did not see that coming at all everyone is saying that this Patriots offense looks a little pedestrian. They're looking slow. What's concerning to me is Sony Michelle hasn't really shown up yet. Um, it's only been really two. It's only been two games that he's been in the NFL. They're really trying to force him to show up and have big games and everything. They're giving him a lot of opportunities to do things, and he just hasn't yet. I think that comes with time. But right now, the the uh, Patriots offense just looks very lethargic. I think when they get Josh Gordon, big play receiver, they get Julian Edelman back, who's Tom Brady's sort of five to eight yard route running security blanket, and then they can get James White as well, who's he's been there along, but I think they need to take more advantage of him and his matchups, problems that he can create in the flats or running uh, curls across the middle or anything like that. Just easy passes that you can get the ball quickly into the hands of a playmaker like James White then I think this offense will start coming around but offense will take care of itself but the defense with without Patricia who is the Lions head coach now who showed that the defense the Patriots defense is the bigger problem not the offense they kind of adopted and have that bend don't break attitude and mentality with Patricia and they didn't really bend that much when he was there, they would occasionally do it, but they never broke. Um, I think the Patriots' defense is broken. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback. They can't stop the run. The Lions had a 100-yard rusher for the first time in like over four years, which is insane to me that they haven't had that. That's wild. Not to get 100 yards on the ground in four years, that's ridiculous. You're an NFL team. Figure it out. But... Patriots will figure it out on offense, but defense is what is going to be more concerning to me than their offense by a mile. And then on Monday night, the Steelers beat the Buccaneers 30-27. to Steelers didn't score in the second half. Their offense isn't the problem. Their defense, like the Patriots, I'm not worried about their offense at all. Their defense is what needs a little work. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was back and forth between Jekyll and Hyde, whether it was Fitzmagic or just a magician on the side of the street that you could totally see all the sleight of hand and every other tricks like that. What is What I meant to really start off talking about the Steelers with this is last year. When Ben and them played terrible against the Jaguars, and everyone said, Big Ben is old, he's washed up, he's all this, he's all that. There was some controversy around that team. They come back and they are almost playing the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. They almost beat the Patriots in the regular season. Um, they probably would have if the NFL could figure out what the hell it catches. This year, they don't have Le'Veon Bell. Antonio Brown sends a tweet 
that says, trade me in reply to someone saying that Ben Roethlisberger is the only reason he's good. Never did he say, I want to be traded. Anything like this. Blah, 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 blah. The media went and ran with that tweet and made a story out of nothing because they are pathetic and need something to fill airways and TV time with when... They can't just talk about X's and O's and other things like that. They had to make a story out of nothing. Steelers are fine. They're going to be fine. They're one of the best teams in the AFC. That defense will need to figure it out. Do I think they're going to become a dominant defense? No. What they did do was they got an interception and a touchdown on uh, Monday night. If they can do that, and create turnovers and have a scoring defense, which that was their first defensive touchdown in a long time as well. I don't remember right off the top of my head, but that's another staggering statistic as well. But if they can create turnovers and generate some points from the defense, I don't need you to shut down teams. I need you to be productive and be there in crucial moments, which I think they can do, which in turn helps that team immensely. Everyone just settle down on the whole Steelers are screwed talk. I don't care if Le'Veon Bell ever plays another down in a Steelers uniform. I, he's a great player. I like him. I understand why sitting out. James Conner is good enough to replace him. He's not the same type of player, but he's got a skill set that will work in the NFL. They can run him as much as they want, and it'll work out. They've kind of got a dynamic with uh, Switzer as well, number 10, the white kid from North Carolina, where he comes in sort of on passing downs and runs little gadget-type plays and smaller routes and shorter routes and everything like that. I'm fine with it. Totally fine with it. Have Connor be your first, second, and third down back sometimes, and when you want to bring out Switzer and everything like that, bring him out and use him like you would use Le'Veon in the passing game. I'm Totally fine with it. Le'Veon, like I said, I'm upset that you're not in a Steelers uniform. You're not on the team right now. You're not playing because you're a great player. And I, like I said, I totally get why you're sitting it out. But trade them. Steelers organization, trade them. Get picks, get players, get defensive players. I don't care who you get. But get something for him because he's leaving in the offseason. He's going to sign somewhere, and you're just going to be left out in the cold with nothing to show for him. So trade him. And that is going to conclude last week's talk in the NFL, and we can now look ahead to this week's games in the NFL. Now we can move on. Like I said, the Thursday night game this week is a big NFC game. I think it's a preview of the NFC Championship game. The Vikings go to the Rams. The Vikings are hopefully going to get back Dalvin Cook, their dynamic running back. I like the Rams in this one. I just think that they are really the best team in the NFL so far, and I think it's going to be a good close game, but the Rams pull out a victory. Moving on, you have the Browns and the Raiders. Baker Mayfield's first start in the NFL. As much as I want to say the Browns, I think Baker might make a mistake um, late in the game. I don't want to say, let's say early fourth quarter and he just doesn't recover and the Raiders get their first win on the year. Uh, The Sunday night game is a huge AFC North game. The Ravens and the Steelers, a huge rivalry. It's at the Steelers. I like the Steelers in this one. I think 
just how personal of a game this is going to be. It's going to be crucial for uh, the Steelers' offensive line to protect Big Ben, which they've kind of struggled a little bit with this year. But I think they get that done, and the Steelers end up winning it on Sunday night and getting a huge AFC North win. The Jets go to the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars get Leonard Fournette back, and he has a big game. Um, Blake Bortles is going to be helped because of that, and I think he has a very nice game as well and rebounds from a poor weekend last weekend against the Titans, and the Jaguars get that one done. Then a huge AFC East matchup. Your AFC East leaders, Dolphins, who would have thought you'd say that, go to the Patriots. The Dolphins are 3-0, and and the Patriots are 1-2 and coming off of back-to-back losses. Patriots aren't losing this game. Not a chance in hell. Belichick and Brady will not let that happen. They will not lose three games in a row. They will not lose in Foxborough. They will not lose to an AFC East team that is a top. It is just not going to happen. I think Brady has a huge game, and I think Gronk also has a huge game as well because really in the game against the Lions, Gronk was the only guy that was there for him, and I just think that might need to continue this week. Um, I don't think they're going to win if that happens. I definitely think they're going to need some contribution from other players, but Brady and Gronk I think are going to go off. I think Gronk maybe has two touchdowns and over 100 yards because of the matchup problem he's going to present. Uh, the Bills and the Packers play. Packers need this one a lot more than the Bills do. I'm going to take the Packers in this one. Buccaneers go to the Bears. Jameis Winston is back now. Is he going to start? I don't think you start him uh, because Ryan Fitzpatrick has been playing out of his mind. He's the first quarterback to start the year, the first three weeks, with over 400 yards in each game. So I think he continues to get the start, and until he has a bad week, I think he's going to continue to be the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers. But I will take the Bears in this one because I think their defense is good enough to apply pressure on Fitzpatrick and make him make a few too many mistakes. I definitely think we see Jameis Winston sometime in this game, but I think Fitzpatrick gets a start, but the Bears get the win. The Monday night game is the Chiefs at the Broncos. I like the Chiefs in this one, but I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. It's going to be interesting to see how Pat Mahomes handles the pressure from Von Miller um, and Bradley Chubb, the first-round pick for the Broncos this past year. I don't think he's faced anybody as good as those two so far in his NFL career, and I think they're going to get after him, but I do think that he makes Mahomes does. I think Mahomes makes a few big plays here and there to Tyreek Hill. Um, Kareem Hunt has kind of flown under the radar so far this year after a huge rookie year. I think he has a very nice game on Monday night and reminds the league that, hey, I'm still here. What has been called into question a little bit so far this year on the Chiefs is their defense, which is not normally like them. Andy Reid normally has a very good defense, but this year it just hasn't been the case. But I think in this game, the Chiefs end up due taking care of the Broncos. Another game to look at on Sunday is the Saints at the Giants. Another high-scoring game, I think. I think Saquon Barkley has a huge game, but I think the Saints, um, the receivers, and Drew Brees are just too much for the Giants secondary and I don't think the Giants can be able to get enough pressure on Drew Brees and I think he'll be able to sit back there and pick apart the Giants defense but a high scoring game and the Saints get it done and then 
The last game I'm going to talk about are the Bengals at the Falcons. I like the Bengals in this one. The Falcons' defense and their secondary especially is so banged up and so just hurt and not performing as well. And I'm not comparing Andy Dalton to Drew Brees or anything like that, but Drew Brees was able to shred and tear apart the secondary for the Falcons. You have A.J. Green, you have John Ross, you have Boyd, you have Eifert, you have Geo. Bonnie Bernard out of the backfield for the Bengals, and their defense is playing well enough that they can slow down um, the Falcons' offense as well. I like the Bengals to go to the Falcons and get a big win for them this weekend. Now, finally, we can talk about Tiger Woods coming back, winning the Tour Championship, almost end up winning the FedEx Cup, the year-long race for the FedEx Cup. Um, it is so nice to see as a Tiger fan, Tiger Woods back in the winner's circle. That scene walking up 18 with the fans behind him and the gallery and everything, it's something I will never forget. I'm so glad I got to watch it live instead of just seeing Twitter views of it because the Twitter uh, videos don't do it justice. I had goosebumps watching it. I almost broke down in tears when the final putt for him went in. It is so good to see that after everything he's been through that he came back and won a tournament and this I think better late than never it was the last chance he had this year to win a golf tournament but holy shit it it feels so good to see it happen what is a little concerning to me as a Tiger fan um, this has happened before in 2013 he came back and won a few tournaments and everything, and everybody was like, oh, Tiger's back. He's this, he's that. And then he got hurt. He had to go through swing changes. He wasn't even able to swing a club for a certain amount of time and everything. Um, people aren't really talking about that or remembering that. I just want everyone to be cautious with that because this has happened before. Do I think it's going to turn out the same? No, I don't. I actually do think um, Tiger Woods is here to stay, and he will be in contention for majors. He will end up winning majors again, but it's just something to remember that this has happened before. Um, We are not good at keeping our expectations super realistic, which is okay. That's fine. It's Tiger fucking Woods. He's won 80 times on the PGA Tour. 14 majors there's no reason you can't uh, break the record for both is what people are saying and I'm sort of in that group because this is really the first time all year that he's put together four good rounds like I've said on this podcast and other things before what he normally does is Thursday comes out plays all right makes a bad mistake here or there puts up a number that could be way better Friday comes out kills it gets himself middle of the leaderboard. Saturday does very well, gets himself near the top of the leaderboard, but just not leading, which he needs to do. But this weekend, for four rounds, he put it all together and ended up winning the entire golf tournament, which is beautiful to see. And then he rolls and brings all that momentum into the Ryder Cup. And... USA hasn't won a Ryder Cup on European soil since 1993. I wasn't even thought of yet. I was still swimming around um, as a sperm, and, but I was like I said, wasn't even thought of. And they haven't won since then. The players for the United States on this Ryder Cup team that are hoping to break that streak. You have Bryson DeChambeau. You have Tony Finau. You have Ricky Fowler, Dustin Johnson, Brooke Kepsky, Brooks. 
Kepka, Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Webb Simpson, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Bubba Watson, and Tiger Woods. A murderer's row of players. And then the coaches for the U.S. Jim Furyk is the head coach. You have David Duvall, Zach Johnson, Matt Kuchar, Davis Love, and Steve Stricker all as uh, vice captains. On the European side, you have... Um, Thomas Bourne is the captain. Luke Donald is a vice captain. Padraig Harrington, Robert Carlson, Graham McDowell, and Lee Westwood are all vice captains. Players for the European team, Paul Casey was a captain's pick. Tommy Fleetwood, Sergio Garcia, captain's pick. Tyrell Hatton, Roy McIlroy, Francisco Molinari, the British Open champion. Alex Noren, Thornbjorn Olsen, Ian Poulter was a captain's pick. John Rahm, Justin Rose, and Hendrick Stenson, who was a captain's pick. Everyone is kind of, oh, and it's happening at, uh, like, Off National over in France. Everyone is sort of saying, look how great this American team is. It's so deep. It's so this. It's so that. Yes, it is. I 100% agree. What this golf course, though, is setting up to be is it doesn't matter how far you hit it. It's about finding the fairway and being able to control your ball off the tee, which some of the American players, going to be honest, struggle with a little bit. Um, Tiger Woods, we've seen, struggles with that a little bit. Uh, Bubba Watson, at times, if he's not able to work the ball all the time like he wants to, struggles with that. Tony Finau definitely struggles with that. But I think more what more people are saying and not bringing up is that fact. Um, USA, extremely deep. The European team, European team though, top eight guys are pretty good, and then their next four are kind of where they fall off. USA team doesn't have much of a fall off. Brooks Kepka, uh, two-time major winner. The only real weak link, I think, and he's... It's it's not even a weak link, really. It just hasn't played well recently. Is Phil Mickelson, but in the Ryder Cup, historically he's played extremely well. Um, I do think that uh, Furyk is going to need to monitor him and how he plays. I think once a day, so only three sessions, would be good for Phil. Pair him up with, I mean, he played extremely well with Webb Simpson um, a couple years ago. Maybe you reunite those guys. Uh, I definitely need to see Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas as a pairing sometime. Uh, Tiger wants to play with Bryson DeChambeau. I'm fine with that. What I am extremely concerned about is Tony Finau and Tiger Woods getting paired together and not in a racist statement at all they're both dark-skinned men sometimes I confuse them a little bit when they are over a putt or about to hit the ball and their name graphic isn't in the top right um because they are sort of built the same and like I said they're both dark complected men but that's that I really honestly I'm super excited to see how Patrick Reed is going to be in this Ryder Cup because you win the Masters, great for you, huge tournament to win. Um, You're Captain America, you dubbed yourself that after the last Ryder Cup. Um, 
at Hazeltine. That was awesome. Uh, I want to see, hopefully, some antics from him. What, as a European fan, if there are any European fans you should be concerned about, is Rory McIlroy has been able to finish in a regular golf tournament in a number of years. Is that going to spill over into the Ryder Cup? Uh, He was beat by Patrick Reed in singles matches, and they had one of the all-time great single matches um, last Ryder Cup. All these other players are sort of saying that, oh, they'd like to play Tiger Woods. They wouldn't. They like all this stuff. I don't think any player really wants him one-on-one. What I would love to see on Sunday for the singles is Ian Poulter versus Tiger Woods because I think Ian Poulter could match that intensity and the European crowd could rally around him and everything like that. Or if you just want to go for consistency, um, Francisco Molinari already has this year at the British when he outlasted Tiger to win that. Um, maybe a mental game like that, I mean, could come into play. And if by chance they get matched up in singles on Sunday, that could be a huge thing. But again, it's all luck of the draw on Sunday. You don't get to pick who you play against. It's all this, all that. I think a guy to look out for on Europe is Tommy Fleetwood. He's just a great great golfer a great guy as well i'm super excited for him um to get um action in the Ryder cup but in this one in the Ryder cup super excited but i think usa takes it i think they're too deep and i think at the end of the day it's going to be a great event i love the Ryder cup it's three of the most exciting days in golf when it does happen. But the depth of this team and I think Fierick being able to handle all the superstar power that there is on this team and not playing favorites or not this and just being uh, kind of steady Eddie and level-headed and everything is really going to show. And he's got great captains around him. And Phil isn't a captain, but he sort of has taken on a role of being more involved and everything like that in the process of pairings and everything like that, dating back um, a few years now. I think the staff around Furyk is going to help him as well, and I just think the depth, the staff, and just how good these guys actually are is the reason America is going to leave uh, Paris, France with the Ryder Cup again, back-to-back years, and getting the first victory for the United States on European soil since 1993. All right, that's going to do it for episode 38 of Carson Sack Podcast. I want to thank you, as always, for joining me and listening. I truly appreciate anyone that says anything to me about listening to this. I couldn't do it without you all. Um... Thank you so much. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other good stuff. Next week, episode 39, we're going to recap. Huge week in college football. Talk NFL. Talk the Ryder Cup. Um, Baseball playoffs are starting, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Give you a wrap-up recap of the MLB season and look ahead to playoffs. That's going to be a hell of an episode. So I just want to thank you all for listening, tuning in to Carson Sack, where we talk balls. And as always, as we end here, we will be seeing you.